Good morning. Have you enjoyed the worship? That's good. It's not for you. Shall we pray? <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be in your presence today, that we can sing our songs of praise to you, that we can offer you our worship and still experience your goodness for ourselves. Father, thank you that you are in this place, that you are present by your Holy Spirit. And Father God, as we open your word together now, Father, as we read the Bible, Father, would you bring it to life for us? God, would you speak to our hearts and our minds? And Father, would you allow us to leave this morning um, not having just had a nice time in church, but having heard from you and been changed by your Spirit? In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you. Um, we've been thinking about breakthrough, as you know, this um, past season of teaching. Um, and last week, we started to look at, to explore this whole um, area of prayer. <clears throat> last week, we looked at um, specifically unanswered prayer. And we were asking the question, um, how do we experience breakthrough um, when God appears to be silent, when God isn't maybe speaking to us in the way that we expect him to. Um, and I want to stick with the theme um, this week, and we might be continuing a little bit next week as well, um, of prayer. And today I want to look at the question, how do we begin to pray like Jesus? How do we pray like Jesus? So as Christians, we believe that Jesus is our um, supreme example, that he um, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, as the writer of the Hebrew puts it. And so it stands to reason that if we want to experience breakthrough in our prayer lives, then a good person to emulate is Jesus. Now, um, if I'm being honest with you this morning, um, trying to teach you how to pray like Jesus in 20 to 30 minutes is probably um, impossible. I uh, might have bitten off more than I can chew. Uh, and I'm going to admit from the start that there are going to be areas that I'm not going to get a chance to kind of look at with you today. For example, um, I'm not going to touch on the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven and all of that. That's it. You've got it, Anne. Well done. Um, I mean, the disciples literally said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And that's the prayer that he taught them. Um, I also won't get a chance to talk about the kinds of places that Jesus liked to pray. Solitary places and mountains and in the wilderness and, and desert. And I won't even really get a chance to reflect upon the kind of words that he uses. Um, what I want to do instead in the limited time that I've got is just focus in on one prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. Now, the Gospel of John, it works a little bit differently to the other four Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark um, and Luke, sometimes called the Synoptic Gospels. Because they, they basically present the same general view of Jesus. Um, John's gospel is different because he writes with a really specific agenda. Rather than trying to present everything chronologically, John is more concerned with showing us how the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus said revealed who he was and who he is. And so he tells us, at the end of his gospel, that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not recorded in his book. But these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you might have life in his name. And so because of this, there's certain bits that John skips 
Um, there's other bits that John gives us way more detail than the other gospel writers combined. And one such example of that is the Last Supper, the final uh, meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before his eventual arrest and crucifixion. Matthew tells us about the Last Supper in 14 verses of chapter 26. Mark's a bit longer. He uses 20 verses in Mark 14. And Luke is a bit longer again. He uses 32 verses in chapter 22 of his gospel. John, however, begins talking about the Last Supper in verse 1 of chapter 13. And he doesn't finish until verse 26 of chapter 17. That's 155 verses to tell us about the Last Supper. He doesn't even mention the same stuff as the other three. There's no like, this is my body broken for you, or this is my blood shed for you. Instead, John, he chooses to focus in on the intimate conversations that were being had between Jesus and his followers on that evening. He begins with Jesus washing their feet and encouraging them to serve one another. And then he, he moves on to the promise of the Holy Spirit to come and the assurance that, that death wouldn't be the end for them and everything in between. And then he ends the whole narrative with a prayer that Jesus prays. And that's what I want to look at this morning. The disciples, they get to listen in to this prayer that Jesus is praying, this, this intimate, special prayer at this crucial time in his ministry. And so as we look at this this morning, I want us to ask for ourselves, what, what might we learn for our own prayer lives and our own prayer journey? So if you haven't done so already, um, please turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and we're going to read um, from verse 1. And I'll put the words up as well. It says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. He doesn't bow his head on this occasion. He looks up to heaven. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son might glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you've sent, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. So the first thing we notice in this prayer is that Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays for himself. Glorify your son. Father, glorify me in your presence. I wonder if that's a prayer that any of you guys have prayed um, in your personal prayer times. Father, glorify me. Maybe, maybe not. <clears throat> Unless perhaps you're a bit narcissistic. But what we need to recognize here is that as Jesus prays for himself, it's not to do with his own desires or his own whims, but rather it's to do with completing the work that God had given him to do on earth. Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry had been on a trajectory to this point. That's why he begins by saying, Father, the time, the, the hour has come. At many other times in, in John, Jesus says, the hour has not come. My time has not yet come. But now he says, my time has come. He says, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. All that remained was the crucifixion. 
Jesus' final act of self-sacrifice, the pinnacle of Jesus' work on earth. And so when Jesus prays, Father, glorify your Son, what he has in mind is the cross. It's not really what we, we think of when we think of the word glory, is it? But it's not the first time Jesus has spoken like this either. All the way back in uh, John 8, when Jesus is talking to the crowds, he says, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own but speak what the Father has taught me. And the word lifted up in Greek, it also means exalted. And so the people thought he was talking about being honored or, or being revered, but really Jesus was talking about being lifted up on the cross, dying for our sins with nails in his hands and feet. And so when Jesus says, glorify your son, he knows full well what the next 24 hours of his life looks like. A short time later, he prays again in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Matthew tells us that he falls to his knees with his face to the ground this time and says, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And that is a a challenging prayer, I think, for us this morning. How often do we include the words in our own prayers, not as I will, not as I want, but as you will, God, as you want. Do we, uh, when we pray for ourselves, do our, our, our requests to do with our own desires and our, our own purposes, or are they to do with God's desires and God's purposes? Do we pray, Father, use me for your purposes on earth, no matter the cost? Or do we pray, God, give me an easy life and simple pleasures and happy thoughts and so on. One of the things I've noticed about Jesus' prayer life in particular is that he always has a sense of what God is calling him to do in that very moment. He has a sense of his purpose and his calling. If I give you an example, in Mark chapter 1, we're told in verse 35 that Jesus got up very early in the morning, while it was still dark, found a solitary place and prayed. And then later on, presumably, after breakfast, the disciples, they come and find him. And they say, mate, where have you been? Everyone's looking for you. There's like crowds of people waiting to hear from you. And what does Jesus do? He says, let's go somewhere else. Let's just go to some, some nearby villages so I can preach there as well, because that is why I have come. Had Jesus been driven by his conscience or perhaps his ego, he might have returned with the disciples to the waiting crowd, but he was driven instead by the mission that God had given him to do. And he was prepared to disappoint people to fulfill the calling upon his life. And so my first challenge for us this morning is this. What has God called you to today? What has God called you to today? Today is Sunday. In case you didn't know, um, Sunday is a day maybe that we set aside for family. Maybe God today is calling you to be the best spouse or the best parent that you can possibly be, that you might bring him glory in your own home. Maybe we should pray, Father, help me to be the best father I can be today so that I might glorify you to my children. Father, help me to be the best husband that I can be today that I might glorify you in my marriage. But what about tomorrow? When work starts again, will he be bold enough to pray, Father, use me for your purposes today, no matter the cost. Not as I will, but as you will. It's a really bold prayer to make because it's the kind of prayer that actually costs us something, isn't it? Jesus said to his disciples, if you, if you want to be um, my followers, you need to take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus' cross was the cross. 
For our cross might be something different. It might be our, our, our agenda or maybe our time or, or our energy or effort, perhaps our, our praise. Jesus prayed for himself in order that he might fulfill God's call and glorify your son, that your son might glorify you. In what way might God use you for his glory this week? I want to encourage you today to pray for yourself that you would understand what it is that God is calling you to. Jesus continues his prayer in verse 6. He says, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours All I have is yours and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so they may be as one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, I I kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be sanctified. Okay, let's pause there. This is, uh, this is a little bit complicated. Um, but essentially what I think is happening here, I think what we see is that Jesus is now beginning to pray for his followers, his disciples. Jesus is praying for his followers. And what I think is happening here um, is a little bit of, of, of what I like to call a, a tactical prayer. A tactical prayer. If you've not come across that before, um, a tactical prayer is when you, you pray something in front of somebody else that you think they need to hear and for whatever reason will be better received in a prayer context. <laughs> so let me give you an example. You might be praying in life group and someone might go, Lord, thank you for Deirdre. We're so pleased that she's a, a part of this group and community. But would you help her to be a little more thoughtful? Would you help her to consider who else might want the last chocolate bourbon before she takes it for herself and give her the courage to own up to her selfish ways and maybe bring extra biscuits next week? Amen. I'm sure none of you have experienced tactical prayers before. Or maybe you have. Um, But Jesus' tactical prayers, of course, are a bit more loving. (laughs) They're a bit more kind. They're not mean-spirited, and and actually they're intended to be helpful. They're intended to be um, encouraging. I gave you an example last week, actually, when um, the story of Lazarus. You remember Jesus prayed, Father, thank you that you have heard me. And then he sort of adds quickly afterwards, I know that you you always hear me. I I said that for, for the benefit of those gathered here, that they might believe you sent me. And here I think we have another example of a tactical prayer because Jesus is praying for the disciples in front of the disciples. 
They get to hear how Jesus really feels about him, about them, sorry. It begins a bit like um, a school report, I think. He says, you know, they've obeyed your word. They've accepted the words you told me to give them. They know with certainty that I came for you. They believe you sent me. They're doing well in PE, lots of walking. Um, I like to sort of imagine as Jesus is praying that the disciples are looking at each other over the table going, yeah, we're doing all right, lads. We're doing okay. But then his tone changes, doesn't it? It changes around verse 9. He says, I'm, gonna, I'm praying for them. Not, not the world now, but for them specifically, they're yours. Would you protect them, Father? Would you keep them safe because the world hates them and, and, and I've sent them into the world and soon I'm not going to be here to look out for them anymore. Father, would you look out for them? And you can almost sense the emotion in his voice as he prays those words. There is, there is concern, there's almost a sense of regret that he's not going to be there to look after them anymore. He wants assurance that they're going to be okay without him. Um, the gospel writer in, in Luke tells us that very early on in his ministry, um, Jesus disappears up a mountain and prays for the entire night. Has anyone managed an entire night of prayer yet? Nope, <laughs> me neither. Um, what was he praying for? He was praying about which of his followers that he was going to invest his life into. Which of the hundreds of people that he knew and that were following him was he going to give himself to completely? It says, when the morning came, he called the disciples to him and he chose 12, who he also designated apostles. And Jesus, he continues to travel and teach thousands of other people, but these are the ones he chose to do life with. These are the ones who got to see behind the scenes, as it were, lift the lid, the ones he, he shared meals with, the ones he traveled with, the ones he cried with, the ones he laughed with, the ones he rejoiced with, and, and what adventures they had together. Oh my goodness, the good times, the bad times, the highs, the, the lows. I bet they, they reminisced all the time. Oh, I remember that time there was like that storm and, and, and we all thought we was going to die and then Jesus just came out on the water, didn't he? And then Pete was like, oh, I'm going to get out and see him. We were like, nah, Pete, don't do it. And Pete got out and then he started sinking. Oh, what a numpty. But then Jesus lifted him up and oh, it was all right. What about that time he sent us out to, to talk about the kingdom? And, and we was all nervous and everything. And there was that sick girl. And then we prayed. And then she got better. And we told Jesus. And he laughed. And, and we rejoiced together. And oh, oh, it was such a good time. I was buzzing, man. I was buzzing. It was the best. And as they did life together, Jesus just taught them things. And he, and he showed them things. And he gave them opportunity as it, as it came. And he shared himself with them. And he, and he stretched them. And he encouraged them. And he challenged them. And I bet he prayed for them all the time. Father, would you strengthen them? Would you give them courage? The wisdom they need. And he invested with them. For three years, he gave himself to them. And so, of course, he, he prays for them here again as he is um, handing over the reins, as he's releasing them to do the same for others. He says, I've sent them into the world. Did he just say the world? Shortly after his resurrection, he calls them together again, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus expects his disciples to become disciple-makers. And so my second challenge for you this morning is, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? Whose spiritual growth are you actively investing in through your prayer life and your life life? I'm sure we all pray for lots of people during the week, for family, for friends and, and illnesses and their health and happiness and so on. But, but this is more than that. This is about finding those people that God has placed in our lives so that we can really invest in them. You know, I wouldn't be here today doing 
um, the things that I'm doing, speaking to you guys, if it were not for certain people investing in my life. And, and I mean, some of them I only knew for a very short amount of time, some of them for much longer, and there are still people today that I can go to and speak to when I need encouraging, when I'm building up, or, or maybe just a shoulder um, to cry on, people who I know are praying for me. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not suggesting this morning that you need to go out and find 12 people to be your personal disciples. We're not Jesus. None of us are. But is there someone that God has placed in your life recently that you might be able to invest in? Someone that you might be able to commit to praying for and journeying with over the next year or two? You know, there's something really precious, there's something really special about praying with Christian friends. I'm not talking now about um, like church meetings or, or, or even necessarily life groups, but actually just meeting up with your, your fellow Christian brothers and sisters and seeking God together. Praying into each other's lives and each other's situations, reading his word together and just building each other up. We're talking about a breakthrough in this season and maybe a breakthrough for you to be, become more comfortable praying with your fellow Christian brothers and sisters. Pray for each other that God might help you as you are discipled by him on your journey. The final part of Jesus' prayer goes like this. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And all of them, um, and all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. And I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be as one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. The third thing that I think Jesus prays for in this prayer and the last thing this morning I want to look at is that, that Jesus prays for the lost. Jesus prays for the lost. If you just catch that for a moment, it says in verse 20, I pray for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message. Not for those who, who currently believe, but those who are going to believe because of the work of the disciples. But then he goes even further than that. He says that they may be in us, um, that they are going to believe so that the world, <laughs> so that the world will believe. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the continuing mission of the church. He's talking about our witness to the world. The last thing Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 was, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then in Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And Jesus' heart and therefore his prayers were constantly on the lost. It says in Luke 19 verse 10 that, that he said, I've come to seek and save the lost. He told parables such as the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. And when he saw crowds of people flocking to him, he said it has he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. And he told the disciples, look guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few and so you need to get praying. You need to get praying. And Paul calls us Christ's ambassadors. 
He says it's as though God is making his appeal through us, his appeal to the lost. And so Jesus prays for the continuing mission of the church. Um, I came across a, a modern parable, a modern parable about the church this week. Um, and it, it stung a little bit as I read it. Um, so I'm just warning you before I read it. It goes like this. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept constant watch over the sea with no thought for themselves or their safety. They went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station, so it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give them their time and their money and effort to support its work, and new boats were bought. New crews were raised, and the little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and, and poorly equipped. They felt more comfortable place should be provided as a, a first refuge for those who were saved from the sea. And so they replaced the emergency cots and beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a sort of club. Few members were interested in going on life-saving missions, and so they hired lifeboat crews to do that work. And the life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, there was a large ship that was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold and wet and half-drowned people that were dirty and sick. And the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. And so the property committee immediately had a shower house built on the outside of the club where the victims of the shipwrecks could be cleaned up before they came inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the life-saving activity altogether because it was unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon their life-saving primary purpose. They pointed out they were still called a life-saving station, but they were voted down and told if they wanted to save the lives of various kinds of people that were shipwrecked in the waters, they had to start their own life-saving station down the coast, which they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. It evolved into a club. And yet another life-saving station was founded, and history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit the coast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. The shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, and most of the people drown. My guess is that most of us here today would see ourselves as a part of this, this church. We don't have a, a, an official membership as such, but our hope is that if you attend here, you'll support the vision which is to reach people with the life-transforming love of Christ. Not to be content with sitting in a comfortable building, but to look for ways to reach out to those that are drowning, to share with them the love that we have found in our relationship with God. I know many of you volunteer at one or more of our, our ministries or our outreaches, and, and that's wonderful. Those, those ministries are our lifeboats, if you like. But if we're not careful, they can easily become our decorations. Things that speak of the glory 
of the past but have little purpose in the present. And so my third challenge to us this morning is this. Have we lost our heart for the lost? Have we lost our heart for the lost? Are we still reaching out and witnessing to people that don't know Jesus? Are we still praying for those people we know and love that they would come to know Jesus for themselves? Jesus did, and, and, he, and he still does. He still cares. It says in Hebrews 7.25, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And so if we want to pray like Jesus this morning, we've got to keep the lost on the agenda. We've got to keep them on the agenda. And so that's Jesus' prayer in John 17. He prays for himself, that God would use him for his purposes on earth that he would fulfill the calling that God placed on his life. He prays for his followers, those he was looking after, caring for. He prays that God would look after them, that they would know him as they journey together, that he would be able to encourage them and teach them and bring them on. And he prays for the lost. He prays for the continuing mission of the church. And so my final challenge today, the last thing I want to leave you with as we've talked about these areas, and, and really this is a talk about breakthrough. My question is, which of those areas do you need a breakthrough in this morning? Which of those areas do you need a breakthrough in this morning? Do you need to get better at praying for yourself? Not that you would have your wishes fulfilled, um, but that you would better understand what it is that God is calling you to in each and every moment of your life. Do you need to get better at praying for and with other believers? The writer of the Hebrews says, don't give up meeting together as some is in the habit of doing, but encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Disciple each other. Care for each other's spiritual needs. Or do we need to get better at praying for the lost? Looking for those people that, that either uh, through, we know either through an outreach or a ministry or perhaps you know, even just in our, in our own lives and getting really desperate, really desperate that they would come to know God. I was thinking about it this week, you know, if, we, if every person that this church has communication with and reaches out and touches through the week came to know Jesus tomorrow, my goodness, this place would explode. <laughs> We'd have to have like four or five services on a Sunday, or we'd start a meeting in a field or something. But wouldn't it be exciting? Wouldn't that be exciting to see all of those people say for Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have this incredible example of prayer in your word. Father, that just like the disciples, we this morning have got to listen in on your son praying. And Father, that we've got to understand his heart and your heart a little bit better. Father, I pray that you would help us in our own prayer lives. Father, that we would begin to pray like Jesus prayed, that we would pray for ourselves, Father, that we would be glorified in order that we can bring glory to you. Father, that we would understand the things that you are calling us to each and every day because we know that you've placed a calling and a purpose on our lives. Father, we know that there is work that you want us to do in this place, in this town, in our, in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, wherever we might be. And Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize that and fulfill that that we might say with confidence we've fulfilled the work that you've called us to do. 
Father, I pray that you would help us to get better at praying for each other and with each other. Father, that we would recognize those people that you've placed in our lives, God, not just that we can be friends with them and hang out, but, Father, that we can encourage each other in our spiritual journey. Father, that we can build each other up, that we can move closer to you together. God, what a privilege it is to journey with you and that we get to do it with each other is even more wonderful. And, Father, I pray that you would increase our heart for the lost. Father, that we wouldn't be complacent. That we would learn the lessons of that that modern parable, Father, that the ministries and the outreaches and and even the church itself, Father, would not become a a well-furnished clubhouse, but it would remain a life-saving station. Because, God, there are so many people that we know who are drowning. So many people. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to reach out to them. Father, that, that we know that when we pray for these people, when we get desperate for these people, it's really hard not to talk about you when we see them. So, Father, I pray you would increase our heart for the lost. In Jesus' precious name, amen.